Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week I want to thank our two newest supporters on patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast. Welcome to Catherine and Rachel. Thank you so much. In March, we'll be doing a live online meetup where you can talk directly to us and meet other Bittersweet Life listeners. We may even record an episode of the show live and let you participate in the discussion if you want. If you'd like to be invited, become a sustaining member of the show by committing to a monthly donation at Patreon or through PayPal. For as little as $5 a month, you'll be invited to this meetup on Saturday, March 12th at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Roman Time and all the times in between. For those of you who want to make a large one-time donation, you'll be invited to the party too. There are links in the show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. Your financial support makes this show possible. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. Now on Monday, Tiffany explored coffee culture in Italy, so I thought I would take a moment to reflect on coffee when it comes to Seattle. We have covered the globe with our coffee. Perhaps you've heard of a company called Starbucks. For the cup of good coffee, I just walk half a block north on 4th Avenue to Starbucks. All those great caffeine-charged drinks with the Italian names Caffè Latte, Caffè Macchiato, and Mocha. I love it. Yeah, that started in Seattle with a little storefront near the historic Pike Place Market, one of our biggest tourist attractions. The market and the original Starbucks. It still stands where it first opened in 1971, and if you come to Seattle during tourist season, you will find a line down the block of people from all over the world waiting to order their coffee from the original Starbucks. Back then, the logo was brown, not green, and so were the aprons the staff wore. And that's what you'll find at the original Starbucks should you come to visit. Starbucks is all over the world. And in Seattle, you might even find them on street corners opposite each other. But the first Starbucks didn't arrive in Italy until recently. In September 2018, the first store opened in Milan. And it was a big controversy, of course, and one we talked about on this show. Con me Starbucks non può avere successo perché appunto mi piace il caffè in stile italiano e quindi allungato come americano piuttosto che le loro variazioni frappuccino piuttosto che direi io sono più per la tradizione, sono italiano direi che assolutamente no. But what Italy may not know is that it inspired the way that Starbucks is today. In 1983, a New Yorker named Howard Schultz visited Milan and was entranced by Italian coffee culture. What he saw there influenced how he shaped Starbucks, the company, once he became the CEO. So Starbucks, whether you love it or hate it, was at least slightly inspired by Italy. And it is one of Seattle's biggest exports to the rest of the world. 
along with Boeing airplanes and the company Amazon. All of that was created here. But Starbucks is not what I think of when I think of Seattle's coffee culture, at least not what it used to be when I was coming of age here. I was a teenager in the 90s. The grunge music scene was exploding in Seattle, another major export that comes from here. And while I liked the music, and I certainly dressed in plaid flannel shirts and Doc Martens shoes, I was a little young to see most of those bands in person. But lucky for me, there was a whole coffee culture in Seattle that is not the kind you might picture today. It wasn't a bunch of workers and writers hanging over Apple computers not talking with each other, or even people taking espresso shots at the bar like they do in Italy. Coffee in Seattle, at night, was gritty. It was dirty. It was smoke-filled parlors full of artists and people discussing ideas. It was filthy around the edges to a varying degree, depending on which coffee shop you picked to go to. And it was a social hub that stayed open late. Picture a bar, but without any alcohol. There were metal bands sometimes. There was original art on the walls. There were back porches, where a lone musician would casually pull out a guitar, and if you were nearby, you might start singing with them. In these places, we talked about literature and love and the limitations of not being an adult yet. But we also felt sophisticated, not on the margins of the action, but well inside of it. There was Cafe Paradiso in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, one of the grittiest, perhaps. The downstairs was almost like a coffee shop that you would picture today. But upstairs, the lighting was dim. The walls were dark. They might have even been painted black. Famous people hung out there. Punk bands played there. And it was open so late. So, so late. And then there was Bauhaus. This was the preferred place for meeting up with my friends from drama class. It was another Capitol Hill spot that was part bookstore and part coffee house. The room had a round feel, like books and conversations surrounded the baristas. And there was a loft in the middle. It was the smoking section, way up by the ceiling, where the smoke just hovered. There was the last exit, one of the pioneer espresso bars in Seattle. It opened in 1967, and its location moved around a little. But it was a real place. When I used to go there, the inside was filled with wooden picnic tables, and people of all backgrounds and ages gathered there. Outside in the alley, people would talk and sing. It was lovely, and it was edgy. I remember one morning I was eating breakfast while my father read the paper. He looked at me and said, Were you at the last exit last night? I told him yes. What time did you leave, he asked. Whatever time, I said. Eleven, midnight. He looked down at an article in the newspaper and said, Someone was shot there ten minutes later. That was unusual, of course, but... You could see it. This was a time when being a barista in Seattle was one of the hottest jobs you could have in your 20s. If you were behind the coffee bar, you were gorgeous, a little grunge or punk rock, and fun to talk to. These coffee houses were places that teenagers, like me, hung out alongside the generations above us and felt like life was full and interesting. 
Now, I was always there at night, so I don't know if people were working at coffee shops during the day, but I do know two things. At night, coffee shops in Seattle were packed. People lingered and laughed and explored, and no one had a computer with them. That would have been impossible at the time, but it also wasn't what coffee shops were for at the time. Not in Seattle. And also, no one was in a rush. And that's what's so interesting about Starbucks and the very, very slight way it does interact with Italian coffee shop culture. It's two things. A place to get coffee fast, just like an Italian coffee bar. Get the drink, drink it down, and go. Or likely in the United States, get the drink and drive away. And it's designed also to be a place to linger, if you want to, to work or have a meeting. But what I really miss about the coffee culture in Seattle, the culture that I knew, was that grit. It was dirty and loud and, and smoky and thrilling. And you had the chance to hang over a table with your friends for hours for just a couple bucks. Somewhere along the line, as Starbucks took over alongside the portable computer, coffee shops in Seattle became a place to work or to grab a quick drink, not a place to feel like you were living on the edge of the world. This has been your midweek bittersweet moment. I'm Katie Sewell. Talk to you soon. Bye.